0: Good day everybody, this is episode four and it's all about filling the vacancy gap. Thank you for everything that you've contributed because that affects what we do. As you know, there's just no more critical time than now to focus on uh, workforce stability. It's just uh, an amazing time post pandemic where everything's just re-emerging and we're battling through uh, You know, our nation's uh, most challenging time on stability, Uh, you know, hearing the news every day of all the industries that's battling for, you know, for staff to, to, to open up the economy and, and how that fuels forward, you know, pay and other things. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, we're eternally grateful for the resources that we have, but we're eternally behind in our resources. And so we have to work together to squeeze the most out of what we got. And that's what we're going to talk about today is workforce management. Uh, You know, these episodes build on each other. And it's really important, if you can, to watch them in sequence. Um, We love that. Uh, And every time I do an episode, I see that, you know, happening more. We get a little burst from the other episodes. And that's because we're gaining so much traction. And I really appreciate that. But, But it's great to watch them. You know, in order we talked about you know the big problem in the first one, and then this, and then we talked about wonky schedules, Uh, and and then we talked about the five faucet theory about how we approach scheduling within good life and how we do it when with our with our partners uh, too. So uh, there's so much more detail in that. And this episode we're going to talk a little bit about the research that we've found over three decades of our work, and and then we're going to talk a little bit about workforce management, which talks about superimposed schedules and vacancy management so exciting episode today Uh, you know really is grounded in the research and there's some findings that maybe you won't find unusual at all but but our work with the University of Kansas over the last three decades and and our introspection of how things work in in our own program and all the work we've done other people we we see findings and 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 the one and most important is grounded by lots of research is that is it shift openings um cause openings you know the more you have the more you have and and that shouldn't be surprising to anybody but the more openings you have and the longer those openings are open uh it just causes a greater negative impact on your program staff uh, and managers however they actually In in every individual home that we operate, they're they're actually like some amount of openings. Now, the reason they like that is because it gives people opportunity to pick up additional hours and maybe change their schedule when things don't work so well. It's kind of like one of those little cubes where you move things around. But in order to move around, you have to have an opening. And so there's some amount of of an opening in a home or under a manager that they, they kind of like but they're only looking at those openings from their own perspective. And so when you add all those openings up across managers and across the agency, it it really takes your capacity away. And so openings, I'll just tell you, are never good. Uh, And there is not, uh, nothing good can happen from those openings, even though on a home level, maybe somebody might like it. Um, and, And we can generally, you know, the research shows that we can actually predict The, the, the openings, the frequency of openings. If you have a large program, the, the, the openings that you might have per week and per month are pretty consistent. You know, we might look at and say, Hey, we got about 15 openings a month. It goes up from 12 to 18, but you know, and it may have some seasonal cycles to it, but they're pretty consistent. Now, what we don't know is where it's going to come from. You know, we don't know where, where the opening is going to come and who it's going to be, but we know how many there are. And that's an, that, that data is, is important to, to hold on to for a future discussion. Um, and and we, the traditional hiring process that we use to fill openings, where basically shifts are then published to HR and then they fill them. Also, also, if you go back in the episode and you hear about schedule migration, it takes a while to fill an opening. And if you're filling in a traditional way, then uh, what we found is it never closes the gap on an opening. In fact, what we found is it really doesn't matter how big your agency is. What, you, it, it, what, what, what happens is, the, is that you know, this timeline from an opening to it being filled is fairly constant and it moves forward. And while it moves, while that timeline is this long, by the time you fill it, we know there's gonna be other openings. And it's that reality that, you know, that gap of filling positions and the time frame of that is always a constant that goes forward and the openings happen while that gap's there. So if you use the traditional method of, of hiring, uh, you'll always have that gap. And I, I kind of came across this you know, out of this immense frustration, I know we all felt where I said, my gosh, you know, I took look to my staff and I say, it doesn't matter how big we get. We always have the same percent openings. Why is that? I said, if I only had these fictitious homes out there and I just told you we had a bigger program, you know, we'd have all of our positions filled. And it just hit me just like that. It's go, wow, maybe we should just do that. Which that kind of led to a whole line of discussion. And that will be something that we'll discuss today. But we also want to point out that there's different reasons shifts are open. And by the way, one of them we always concentrate on, and that's staff vacancies, right? But there's other two other areas that we don't focus on that, quite frankly, can be just as concerning or even greater that we'll go through. And that is um, uh, planned openings like PTOs or vacations. Uh, That time, which is planned, even training is planned, you know, I'll call it planned openings, and the most challenging, which is, as every provider knows, unplanned openings, which is not a vacancy in a position, it is like somebody calling off for the day, you know, they're sick, or they they have a schedule conflict with another job, and if 42% of the, the people that we hire are working someplace else, they don't make their schedules thinking what we do, so there's all these conflicts that go on there, so Vacancies of any sort, of three types, which is a, open in, a staff opening or you know, a classic vacancy, or a planned opening, which is you know, vacation time off, or PTO time, or, or training time, or an unplanned. Those all work together. Those three different types work together to just simply create a lot of work you know, that we have to keep up with. So we have shifts to fill. And not all of them are because of just simple staff vacancies. And they all have different causes and different solutions. So you got to look at those differently. And if you only focus on one, you're leaving out a huge chunk of, of things you might be able to make some gains on. So, you know, those are the things that, you know, we, we kind of talk about. But I'm going to narrow down this episode to talk about superimposed staffing and employee choice right now, and I'll get, show you a little bit about vacancy management. Not a great deal, but a little bit. So if you remember the last episode or two, we talked about what were the requirements of schedules, that we want some standardization, we want full-time people. You know, I'm not going to go back through all of that stuff, but, but you need to if you haven't, because what we're talking about today kind of builds on that. But presuming that you have a system in place where there's some standardization of of schedules, you know, we talked about the front back half schedule and the five day schedule and the weekend, and you got some symmetry across your program. Then what we can do is then put something on top of that. You know, normally people hire uh, substitute staff or. Or, or as-needed staff, and that's the truth. Is that's a very inefficient way to do replacement, and it involves more people involved in care than you need. Uh, Plus, you're hiring people to wait, and they're generally not available when you need them. Uh, And they're not, so they can pick and choose, and they want to pick and choose. Uh, but that doesn 't necessarily help you, and that the end result is you 've got a fragmented schedules, so and your managers are working, and you know you, you know what happens so uh, today we 're going to talk a little bit about uh, superimposed staffing and, and and this is a way to get ahead of the the, the vacancy gap so superimposed staffing is an overlay of staffing on top of your home and program schedules. So if your home and program schedules have standardized scheduling that we discussed, which is different kinds of schedules working together to provide the ratios for individual support that you need, if they have that, then you can overlay a schedule of those types of schedules on top of it. And you work, you know, I'm a behavioral scientist by training, so we always work on percentages. I know exactly how many call-offs there are going to be by t- day and time, and we'll go through that. And this overlay is designed so that we have resources in place to fill that gap when they happen. And there are full-time people that are fully trained, that are working a schedule that they would like to work. And more to the point, we call it not just superimposed, but employee choice. And I call it that because it's the best way that new staff can be respected so that they can try out different things before they pick their forever home. Because we can say that we can pick people that match that home, but we don't know those people, and we, not yet, and, and, and they may not know what to expect either. But they can try things out. And so when they try things out, let's say it works or it doesn't. And they can try something else. And they finally say, hey, this feels good, right? Well, that match is super critical so, because that match is going to hopefully fuel people to stay longer and get them engaged in the mission of the program. Uh, but what you see organically what happens usually is that you have a placement of a staff who may, you may think matches to a program, but the truth is you're saying that program needs staff. I have to put staff in that home. It just needs staff. So quite frankly, HR oftentimes or the recruitment team doesn't really look at the needs of the person. They look at the needs of the home, which is admirable, but they place that person in the home, but maybe they're not a match. And then the manager isn't gonna go back and willingly just simply say, oh, you know, that person really doesn't like it here, so could you please use them someplace else that they would prefer? They won't do that. What they'll do instead is just, they'll they'll just ride that pony over the cliff, right? And then pretty soon they're unhappy and they quit and they had hoped they wouldn't, but they did. And that's that's one soul that could have been used and matched to another place where it could have been useful. And if they would have, that would have been one person that would have reduced the overall agency capacity, would increase the overall agency capacity to support its home. So it, the, the nature of a manager and the team is to fill the need but that doesn't necessarily help the agency because capacity is capacity is capacity. So if, if there's 10 people leave a program because they're not a good match, that's 10 people that you don't have to fill vacancies that really need to be filled, right? It's that mentality that people look at a home instead of the agency capacity, which is admirable, but you gotta have a check and balance on that because at the end of the day, you know, openings count no matter what the cause and how. So if that helps you a little bit on the superimposed nature of it, so let's get a little into the details of it. You know, what we do is we measure the capacity of of each home of what their vacancy rates are. So, you know, we actually count per shift and per day and per home the number of vacancies that might shift vacancies that happen and why. Uh, So we can do a retrospective analysis with that home. So, for example, we will know in a particular home, you know, up behind me I have a a home, uh, and that home, you know, uh, has three different types of vacancies, and you can see it's a six-person home. And you can see that in a month, they have planned vacancies that have three vacancies that month planned. That's vacation or something you know that could be training. Then they have vacant or open positions. This home had a lot of openings in the home. It had 32 shifts open for the month. And then they had 13 more that were unplanned. Keep in mind, half of the overall shifts that were open or close to half, 40 some odd percent, were because of call-offs. That's a big number, right? And that's not the same reason of the others, but they sure contribute. So they had 48 shifts open out of the 93 shifts they had in the home for the month. That's 52%. That's a huge number, first of all. But also, it's broken down into pieces. And here's another home. This is an analysis we always do. And so you have, in this home, you have zero planned in this particular month. And you had 12 vacant shifts and then you had one call off hey this home didn't have hardly any call-offs and that's really helpful and of the 70 shifts a month you know 19 percent of them were, were vacant that's a bit that's a big difference in that home right from the beginning and remember it's not just openings it's shift openings that cause turnover and it causes the need for replacement and so your agency capacity to replace these are disproportionately going to that six bed home versus this particular four bed home. I hope that makes sense. So you can see that. So we do this and and do this analysis on every home. And then we do interesting things. We look at across all the homes at a site or I'll call it a geographic location, you know, a a city or an area. You know, if you look by day of the week, there's 32 openings on a Sunday and 30 on a Monday and, and 42 on a Tuesday and Wednesday. So you can see there's openings, but this tells you that there's 260 shifts that we have to fill for that month, right? And that lays itself out into specific week, weekdays. Now, you take that and you say, okay, well, how many extra staff? Working these standardized schedules, am I going to have to hire? Well, you know what? That's math too. So what you got is Sunday. You got you need eight. Roughly, you have between eight and ten people, right? That need to be working on an overlay schedule, right? So you've got this overlay schedule built, and you know exactly how many people you need to work it. And I'm, you know, I can hear people, you know, raising their hand out there and saying, "Well, yeah, but." You know, what if they don't? What if, what if they don't? Well, you know, that kind of goes into how do, we, how do we, you know, do this? What we do is we try, uh, we, try we hire a workforce manager. We, sometimes we call them a vacancy manager. And that's their, this is their job. This is what they do. We try to hire an overlay workforce, which we also call the Employee's Choice Program. i we'll get in the end on, on that. But but the workforce overlay, the superimposed staffing is working a standard schedule on top of this when we try and hire enough people to fill about 80% of the open positions, okay? And that's because we want some positions for people to pick up too. We want to give people the ability to work extra and we can afford to pay it. And I'll explain that on a future episode. But we can afford to pay it and would they want it. And if we don't give it to them, maybe we get another job. And so we let them work here instead of there because we can coordinate the schedules between us and us, but we can't coordinate the schedules between us and that. So that kind of lays that out, but the workforce manager basically collects the vacancy data by type and they work with us as a, as, as a tactician on which homes have what types of vacancies and why. And we work with management on how do you fix that because it's not the same fix, like call offs versus the other. So those things, that they collect the data and they alert us to, to the data. They also know, because they collect it by the site, they know exactly how many more staff that we need. Now, what they do from an accounting perspective, and you see, you CFOs will, will know this, is that we will have, a, we call it a, a, a unassigned bucket. So it's a department. So all the superimposed staff are actually managed by the vacancy coordinator. That's their boss because they're basically assigned to different homes and they're an internal pool, but they're also new employees that are picking their forever home right, in sampling things. So they're managed by it. And so when they assign them from the, from the general pool to a home, they also assign those hours to the home out of the unassigned bucket to the home budget, the goal of which is by the end of payroll, there's zero hours in the unassigned bucket. Now, if there are more than zero hours, you look at the data and say, well, maybe we have too many superimposed in this area or that, or you make the adjustments. But since you're not filling 100%, you're picking 80, you know, 99% of the time, that's zero. And then the rest of that is filled by people working extra. But if you don't have this overlay workforce, you're filling 100% of these things. And you can't do it. So the managers are working extra. You got overtime, so on and so forth. And that's for another episode, too. But the reality is this is a strategy that accomplishes two major things. It provides an overlay workforce where people can work full time, be fully trained, and be predictably available to work time parts in the home. And uh, so you can count on them. Uh, and you're getting a full measure of their work, a full-time measure of their work. You're not getting fractional pieces of people. You're able to fill full schedules with people, not fractional schedules of that. And you're able to give good relief to a program and increase their capacity because you've gone ahead and you've looked at this additional capacity that they need in a scientific way to fill these things. And with HR is saying, okay... The number of openings I have isn't the number of openings I have in the home. It's the number of openings I have in the homes and programs plus this overlay. This is, these are ever bit as, as important of open positions as any other. They're given equal weight. And so HR isn't hiring just for openings. They're hiring for the openings plus the overlay. So therefore, they're filling the gap. And once they get the gap filled, then the capacity is there to do more. So the vacancy coordinator kind of in ending they they collect the vacancy data, they manage the employee choice program. So for example, you send a, a superimposed staff, which is a new staff to a home, you get feedback from them on a couple of things. Did you like the home? How was the manager to you? Did, were they, you know, were they, did they provide training? Did they help you? Did they support you? That's good intel that you need. And the, the, the vacancy manager gathers that intel. Do they? Did you like the kind of work that you did in the home? Do you feel like it's a good match or not? And they they dial in on that, right? And so in the future placements, they they make adjustments on that. And if they like it, the goal is stay, 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 stay there, you know, and and do as much as you can there. And then pretty soon they raise their hand. They say, man, I'd love to work here. This is where I want to work. And the rule that we have is if they want to work there and the manager wants them to work there, then that's a match, right? But... If we get feedback that this particular home constantly has people say, I don't, I don't really want to work there. Well, you got to dive deeper in that and find out why. Sometimes it's, it's management. Sometimes it's the case mix. Sometimes it's other factors. But you need to address them. And you might even have to address them with pay. You know, one way or the other, we address that because we don't want a home to show itself in a way that's different than other homes. We want everybody to have an equal chance to have great talent in the home. And at the end, making those adjustments makes financial and programmatic sense for you to do. They track the, the, you know, the payroll costs. They track overtime. They track uh, unassigned uh, payroll costs, which is what we talked about. And they, uh, they approve shift trades that we'll talk later about. Uh, and, and, and they'll approve uh, time off now, that's interesting because the thing is, everybody, every manager looks at time off only with respect to their home or pro- collection of homes. But what if every manager took the same, had their di- uh, the direct support staff take the same time off, then the agency capacity to replace is way down. So that's why we have our workforce manager do that and not, not the other. And the other thing is, managers are then taken out of that, that, that challenge of, saying no, which they don't really want to do because they want the staff to always be happy with you know, the decisions they make. But at the end of the day, you can't have your agency capacity fall below a certain level to make things work. So look, again, this is a high level, uh, but what I wanted you to get from this section is the importance of this superimposed employee choice staffing infrastructure that's sort of scientifically picked out and, 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 and used so that we have this replacement staff that's ever ready to fill the kind of vacancies that we have. And I want you to know that there's different kinds of vacancies and every one of them deserves a plan. And so we'll talk about those kinds of things in the future episode, but this one uh, is designed to really dial in on how we can close the gap in a very good way with a replacement workforce and at the same time offer an employee choice where people can actually prepare, uh, you know select their forever home and get out of that trap of you know the, the riding the pony over the cliff by placing somebody you know in that in that home uh, that really isn't a good match for the home But wanting them so badly, you're not going to give them back to the agency to place them elsewhere, right? The workforce manager handles all that and they grab, grab, what you'll find is they grab this amazing uh, uh, information from these assignments. That truly will give you the intel you need to make some changes in your program to to reduce uh, vacancies. So, this is episode four. And we hope you got something from what we just talked about, and we ask you to follow and, uh, our work and share it with others and comment. And we look forward to the next episode where we're going to go a little bit farther uh, in this next episode, probably going to go farther in how we do time off and pay, which is really, you know, kind of what a lot of people are real interested in hearing.